It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. My guest today is Chase Harmer, founder at Wishes, who are redefining the charitable giving experience and creating a more connected future for all humanity. After receiving a full track and field scholarship to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, Chase decided to attend another college called the School of Hard Knocks. He started his first business in the payments industry at the age of 19, and that would eventually become a $40 million per year business before he was 32. As the founder at Wishes, Chase is focused on the biggest problems which exist in the charitable giving space today by making donations for social impact instant, fully transparent, tax deductible, and rewarding in addition to delivering funds to recipients 10 times faster than any competitor in the world. Prior to Wishes, Chase spent seven years as the founder at ProfitPay, which was acquired by the travel platform on Riva. As a non-tech founder, ProfitPay was his single greatest challenge of his career, and he learned more meaningful things in those seven years than the combined 27 he spent in payments. Jason spent nearly three decades in payments and has built product and infrastructure in both acquiring and issuing side. He brings a diverse and rare perspective from his time in the trenches, which produces positive outcomes for his connected partners and internal stakeholders. Chase Harmer, welcome into the corner office. Hey, thanks, man. Glad to be here and uh, excited to have this conversation with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we talked in the old year and now we're recording in the new year. So, uh, you know, looking forward to getting caught up on things that have happened, uh, obviously, most recently with your uh, wonderful company. We want to hear all about that. But we kind of begin the podcast with the early years and understanding Mm -hmm. a little bit about what that was like and the foundations that uh, formed you. So tell us a little bit about it. Where'd you grow up and what was your early family life like? Yeah. I mean, I grew up in San Jose, um, you know, and I kind of was one of those kids. I always went to schools that were super far away. I don't know why. I don't know why. Like I, <laughs> I had like the, my, my elementary school and my high school were like a block away from me, but I went to schools that were like a million miles away. So um, <laughs> was that your parents' choice? Yeah, it was my parents' choice. I mean, it was for one reason it was like science. The other one was, I mean, it was, you know, but I think about how far they were and like, it was just not worth it. Um, but I, you know, so I, I played with the neighborhood kids, but then I went over to the, to the school. So I was always kind of like a lone wolf, I think, you know, mm. just, um, but i um, always, you know, really into sports and was always really good at sports and got a track scholarship and I uh, played football in college too. And, uh, you know, I had some success, but I, I dropped out to start a business. Um, I was just anxious to get into the workforce and, and uh, yeah, I mean, 
you know, I think it's all kind of like a blur, you know, me, me growing <laughs> up. <laughs> a lot of sports. Well, let's go, well, I want to get to those, those business opportunities. We talked about the school of hard knocks in your, in your sure. intro. What, what yeah. did mom and dad do? What, what was their backgrounds? Yeah. My mom was a teacher and my dad yeah. was an electrician. So hardcore Democrats, um, yeah. you know, and, uh, you know, they're, they're heavy news watchers. Um, but, uh, so she always tells me what's going on. <laughs> what were the kind of things you remember from growing up? Were there any, you know, specific memories and things? Yeah. You know, my, my mom was my biggest cheerleader. You know, she still is today, you know, I'm 44 and, you know, she's, um, we have a pretty close, close relationship, but I think, you know, my dad, um, he passed away. And so, um, you know, recently, and so, um, you know, that was tough, but I, you know, he was, he was always there, but I didn't really know him. You know what I mean? So, right. um, you know, he went to Vietnam and he came back and he was, uh, a little distant. I guess you'd say, but, um, he's a good, good father and I did the best he could. And, um, you know, I love him for that. You mentioned you got involved in sports Were were there some specific sport experiences or coaches that had an influence and, you know, yeah, you know, well, I actually, you know, I didn't like my high school coach. I felt like, um, I should have got a football scholarship. Um, but I, I was, uh, I was, a uh, you know, I, I really was um, kind of a, was a star athlete on on both the football and, and the track teams, and that's why I was ended up getting a full scholarship to Cal Poly. But I really didn't like my um, my high school coach, and uh, and I was like, well, if I ever see that guy again, and then I saw him again, um, <laughs> one night I remember, and I was like, hey man, you know, and he was like, we had this. Uh, then it was like, oh, I love you, I love you, <laughs> type of thing, you know. Uh, but it was, um, I remember that too, because I, I had a real big resentment against this guy. And then I saw, was he him. hard on you? Was it, was it? Yeah, he was, he was hard on me, yeah. you know, he was, cause I'm not a big guy. Um, but I was, uh, a really, I was really talented. And so I had like 26 touchdowns my senior year and, and, uh, he, he was like, he, I was like, Hey, listen, I want to talk to these schools. And he's like, Oh, you think you're like, you're, you know, they were going to, you can go to D one. And I was like, dude. Why is he telling me I can't go to D1? Like, let them tell me. <laughs> he should be inspiring you to do that, right? Yeah. I mean, it was like, you know, he had the resentment because he played junior college. And so, I don't know. Mm. It's just one of those things. And so, you know, but uh, I got over it. But it actually took me a while, a while to get over it, honestly. That was pretty upset about it for a long time. Were um, you a good student? I was a average, like average B student. So, yeah. you know, I got like a 3.3 in college at Cal Poly 2. So, um and, and yeah. in that school, were there other activities beyond sports? Did you do any music, theater, groups, debate, anything like that? Clubs, girls, um, girls, and, <laughs> girls, and uh, you know, we had like you know, there was always something going on. I, I had a best friend in high school. Um, his name's Jason. He was getting recruited by um, Nebraska at the time, and so we were best buddies, and um, we were like inseparable pretty much my whole high school years. And so, like, I I remember spending most of my high school with him doing stuff, you know, and I mean, as a kid, you don't really need to even do stuff, you know, you're just walking around the neighborhood or whatever, but right. you know, we're always busy doing something. So what about entrepreneurial things? Did you have some, you know, younger, day, younger day experiences, you know, have the paper out or, you know, yeah. selling stuff door to door or anything like that? Well, I thought I was going to be a hall. I thought I was going to like be a professional Hallmark card salesman because I thought okay. that I was so much better, um, than the Hallmark cards that I was reading. And I've always been really good, um, at poetry and like and writing and these types of things and so um i i would i would get books and i would sell them in the neighborhood i would like you know but it was like this is a rock huh? this is a tree 
you know what I mean? Like when I was a kid and I'd sell them for like, you know, 50 cents. But I guess that if that was anything that could have been my first shot at being an entrepreneur, but. Did you work, did you work during high school and into college? I didn't, you know, I didn't, I got, um, I got lucky because, you know, my, uh, some of my friends didn't have to work. Um, but my, you know, my parents didn't want me to work and they wanted me to focus on school and I was yeah. always doing sports too. So, you know, it, you just wouldn't have worked between homework and sports and school. It's just, there's not enough time, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, and you were pretty involved in sports. So what, what did you yeah. play all four or what, what, what were your sports during high school? Yeah. So I did, well, I did, uh, I did football in, in, in track. And, um, like I said, I got the end of, I, I, my senior year, I tried to get athlete of the year and I was like, well, I just got to do one more sport wrestling. Right. right and I was like right. pretty strong and, uh, but I never showed up to practice. Uh, because I was too cool. And, um, you know, it was just like this, I'm, I'm like so strong. This is, this is, this is like, come on, like, get out of here. I'm going to like, I'm going to rule this rate class. And, uh, I remember I had my mom and my girlfriend in the stands and, uh, you know, I was this popular kid. Right. And I thought I was so cool. And, um, you know, and there's this little guy, uh, you know, wrestling me and I'm like, get out of here. Come on. And, um, I swear to God, I could, cause I didn't show, I didn't know any of the moves or anything. You know what I mean? I was just trying to right. like overwhelm him with, uh, my strength, but it only goes so far. If you, you get in some weird move, you can't get out of. And so I just remember being pinned and I was like, I was mortified. Like the athletic happened? was there. <laughs> the athletic was there. My girlfriend was there. My mom was there. I was like, Oh my God, I'm just like, never going to live this down. So, um, yeah. so wrestling didn't really work out for me because I just couldn't, I didn't, wasn't willing to put in the time to, to, uh, to learn it. Um, and I, um, I, I don't, I'm not a great loser. So wrestling is just one of those things that it's all technique and, you know, you, if you, you could be a little guy and, and still, you know, and still take people down and beat right. them, even though, uh, so side doesn't really matter as much. Um, it's just all technique, you know? So, yeah. Well, yeah. that's a good lesson, right? You know, learning how to. <laughs> you know, learn that technique in various disciplines because it isn't always about brute strength or, you know, being the smartest guy around the table or, you know, having the best skill. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, you know, it's, it's one of those things that consistency pays off, you know. Was it pretty clear you're going to go to college? Was that something mom kind of instilled in you or mom and dad? She did, you know, she did, but I really wanted to play football. And so that was my only reason why I wanted to be in college. And so I was really fast. But I, I really didn't like track. You know, I just was mm. faster than everybody. And so, right. um, you know, when I got out there, um, I just didn't want to run track anymore. I was like, man, I don't want to spend uh, all my time in college running. Because, um, you know, when you go to track, it's not like football. Like you can go out and, and have fun and um, you can come back and, you know, you also could be a, a star, you know. Right. But in, in track, when you're doing it at a high level on Division One. You know, nobody's out there having fun. You go out there and you, you know, you don't it's hard work. practice or you don't work hard. You're going to get smoked out there, you know, because yeah, yeah. um, those guys next to you are, are, are not playing around. And so, um, you know, I was just like, well, listen, I can't do this my whole, my whole entire college experience. And, and uh, but you got a scholarship, up, right? You, you, I did. you went to I did. Cal Poly. I did. And uh, ran track. Did you did you uh, participate in the track team all four years or just do it for the first couple? No, no, I dropped out. So I dropped out and I started in the credit card business when I was 19. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I had a full ride. And it's kind of weird because I was like, hey, listen, I was kind of pondering back and forth. Um, I was like, well, should I come home? Should I not? And so I was like, well, 
let me just throw this out there. So I went to the coach and I said, hey, um, you know, I, I was faster than all of his seniors at that time. I, I had an, another level when I went to college. I was really fast. And um, So as a freshman, you were faster than the yeah, seniors? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I was fast. And so I was running, you know, like 46, uh, 46 seconds in the 400. So, um, you know, if, if you know anything about once around the track, 46 oh, yeah. seconds is pretty quick. It's pretty quick. But I, I, yeah. I went and told him, I was like, listen, I'm beating all your seniors. And... Um, you know, I, I want a, an apartment and I want um, more money, uh, you know, to, to use. Because I just thought for sure he'd say no to me because it's track. They don't even get that much money. And um, he's like, he came back to me. He got me an apartment and he got me more money. And I was like, dude, I can't stay here. I got to go. <laughs> I was like, I'm out of here. I didn't think you were going to do that. <laughs> um, so you completed your first year or, or did you drop out with your first year? I dropped out. Yeah, I dropped out like literally like uh the, before the third quarter quarter was over and i started uh, a business in the credit card business and um uh, in that you know I, I you know started making money at a young age and i turned that into a pretty big business and then i uh, kind of just been parlaying this into other opportunities as i you know i would say now i'm pretty much an expert inside of the fintech business i built everything inside of that business you could possibly build um as far as infrastructure goes and um, on both sides of the equation, like on both on the car credit card side and the acquiring side, the part that takes the, t takes the credit cards themselves. And it's pretty rare because most people you're either on one, one side of the, one side or the other of the business, right? Um, you're never on really on both. Um, so, you know, how I, did I'd you first get introduced to the, to the credit card payments business? How, you know, um, there's some guy was running a, running a, an office, small office in Milpitas, and this is back in 1998, you know, so like back at that time, credit cards were still pretty new. Um, it right. really wasn't like there, there was like half of the businesses out there didn't even take credit cards at that time. So, you know, we were going out, he was sending, he was setting up appointments and we were going up and setting, setting up all these merchants. And um, it was, it was, um, I was just really good at it really quick. Um, and then I, uh, the guy, you know, was, I was producing so much uh, revenue for the guy. He's like, oh, I had was running his office and within like the month and um, I saw how much money he made. And then I quit the next day and I started my own. <laughs> how long did you work for him? Mm, not very long. Um, yeah. Maybe like two months. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so you yeah. just kind of said, Hey, this is a, this is a good biz set it up on your own. And you know, you had the just, relationships with the providers. I was like, if this guy can do it, cause this guy, like, <laughs> so this guy was, it was a character. I mean, like, so we would get to the office at, it was like six in the morning, you know, like we'd get there and like, cause we'd have to get our appointments and we go, you know, like get ready to go like on these appointments or whatever. And, um, when I got to the office and we're talking about like at six o'clock in the morning, He'd be like, hey, uh, go get me a handle, like a handle of, of vodka, right? So oh, I would gosh. go to the store. I would go to the store and get him a handle of vodka. So mind you, he's in the office just slamming this thing all day, right? And so when we gosh. when we come back after all of our sales calls, we have to come back to the office, right? So he's just a mess every time. And um, and he'd have like these meetings and like the guys that didn't sell anything, dude. Like, oh my God, like he was just, it would go off and um and I was just like, this guy is a clown. I, he's a, yeah. I can't even believe this guy. Like, how is this guy even alive right now? Um, and, uh, you know, but he's making all kinds of money. And I think it was just the timing was right uh, for that business. Like anyone can do it, you know, because it was like the wild west of credit cards, you know. Um, 
the half of the merchants out there weren't taking it. Um, right. And it was really easy to sign businesses up because they all knew they needed it. And so a lot um, of white space, right? A lot, a lot of white space. Yeah. A lot of white space. Yeah. And it was the wild west. You didn't need a license. You didn't need, you know, you just needed to go out there and, and, uh, and uh, hustle. Sell so stuff. you you got connected with what one Evalon or what are, what are the one of the larger yeah, was, processors? I don't even remember who it was at that point. You yeah. know, back in the day, it was all about like leasing terminals and stuff like this. Right, uh, right. That's how you made the money because none of the processors back then were really paying residuals, right? They um, they were you know so you'd make a lot of the upfront money on the equipment, but the equipment you'd be selling these piece of crap of equipments that were like a hundred bucks, you know, and uh, these poor merchants, you know, they'd be paying you know. By the end of their lease, they'd be paying like a you know couple thousand bucks for this thing, you know. So um, I didn't like doing it. I didn't. There's guys out there that they they made their whole entire business off leasing. I just I uh, figured out how to earn the residuals, which you know it's uh you don't make the money up front, and it takes longer to 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 build a base of revenue. But you know if you can build it the right way, you, those merchants will will stay with you, and uh, that's what happened for me. And and I ended yeah. up building a real big business that way. And, you know, the guys that are were in the leasing business really focus on the leasing business. They're, you know, they have an office, they have tons of people in there. The next, the next like six months from then, they're all, they're all toast, you know? Yeah. Right. All the leases gone. So yeah. uh, pr pretty much profitable from day one. Did you start hiring in people right. after that or how did you kind of evolve? That yeah, no, I, I wasn't. So like I basically, I was out there, you know, hustling and building the business slow. You know, I was like, I remember I got my first residual check because most of the time you set up these merchants and then you start getting the, the income. But it's like they're doing a little bit at the end of the month or something like this. And so you're getting paid 30 days in the rare. So, you know, your first big check doesn't come till probably like 90 to 120 days out, you know. Right, um, right. And that's if you're working hard, right? And if you're not working hard, you know, <laughs> you walk longer. Or if you're just getting big merchants. But what really happened for me is I cold called on a gas station. I didn't know at the time. You couldn't actually convert over Shell gas stations because they're branded and uh, as a branded gas station, they have their own internal uh, payment processing, which, you know, they required all of the stores to use, which they were probably crushing um, on that stuff. But the independent stations, uh, they, the guy was like, hey, listen, I walked into a shell. He said, hey, um, you know, you can't work with me. He said, but he said, my my owner, and he's a, he said, he's just opening a brand new gas station, a huge gas station in front of the San Francisco airport. Right. And it was, wow. um, it's called Millbury Marketing Gas and is right, is the huge gas station. It's still there today. It's gigantic. Um, and it's right in front of the San Francisco airport. So it's it literally, it's like, it's like 20, 20 pumps. It has a huge convenience store, has a car wash, all these things. Uh, the guy, the guy was a nice guy and he said, Hey, um, come meet me at this gas station or at the, at the floor's land back then. It wasn't even, uh, it wasn't wow. even built. He said, come meet me here. He said, I'm going to introduce you and give you the best lead of your life. And I'm like, Okay, like you know, cool. <laughs> sounds and, like uh, a good plan. So I go out there, and um, he has this. He introduced me to this small bank, and this bank at the time, they were really specializing in doing loans for gas stations, right, and hotels. Mm -hmm. So, mind you, I had not done one single gas station yet, right? And uh, this guy gives me the largest gas station in San Francisco, right in front of the airport, and wow. um, and then he introduced me to this bank, and then I go into, the, then I get, I meet the bankers. Then I go into the bank and I meet with the CEO and then I, I basically become the, the, the credit card partner for that bank. And they give me nice. like 25 gas stations overnight, you know? So wow. like my income went from, 
you know, zero. Like, yeah, like less than a thousand <laughs> bucks to like thirty thousand dollars a month. You know, like wow. Um, and you're nineteen, twenty. You're nineteen, yeah, twenty years exactly. old. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, nice. yeah, and then I basically I thought I was I thought I was like I could retire. I was so rich at that point. You know. Right, right. Um, you know, like, I mean, I was a kid and I thought like, that's all you need, you know? And so I just, I basically took the rest of the year off and I went golfing. Um, and then I lost those clients because I was not, I was horsing around all year. And, um, right. and I was trying to do all these other things. And my dad's like, dude, what are you doing? He said, you know, you got this great business and you're just out here trying to do all these other things and you're not, you're not focusing. And I was like, you know what? He's right. <laughs> so I, uh, I started focusing and, uh, turned it into a massive business, you know? No. Did you start hiring people then shortly thereafter? No. Or what what, no, what kind was, of prompted that? I was a lone wolf forever. Yeah. So I right. basically, um, I had an assistant and I grew that to a $30 million business with, with one person working for me wow. on my assistant. Yeah. Wow. It was insane. Um, I, you know, I look back on it. I was, I'm a maniac like that. Um, but so like when I actually start, when I actually, I knew, I knew back in 2014. I, so I, I, after that, I got a really large, well, the second largest hotel association in the United States. Um, and I, you know, traveled the world around the country, not the world, but the, around the country for about eight years. And I signed up thousands of hotels and, uh, and I, so I was kept, kept on going to business, but I was really just a commodity, right? I was able to grow the business because I had created these strategic partnerships that really paid off. Right. Um, and, but I was like, they were calling me, all these clients were calling me every year and saying, Hey, how do I, you know, I, I need to lower my rate. Now I was like, mind you, mm. I was already giving them great rates. Right. So, you know, each hotel you would think, Oh, he has a hotel. He's making tons of money on that. It's like, dude, the rates were so low. Like you're, you're barely making, you're making like less than 50 bucks, you know, at a, at a big hotel. And so, um, but you know, you, you sign up a trillion of them and you know, you got a good business, but, um, but it's not a good business if every year they're calling you to reduce that 25 yeah. bucks, you know? Yeah. So I was like, man, I got to start building technology. And, and I didn't know how to build technology. I just knew how to sell things, you know? And, uh, but no one's going to teach you, man. So, you know, I was just like, well, you know, what do you do? Uh, well, you go to India, you, you know, that's what you do, right? Yeah. You know, I don't, I mean, I don't know. So I went and hired cause I'm a gnome school. I didn't do any research. I hired two total credible people that I met at some coffee shop or something, you know? And, uh, and I, I, after $200,000 uh, down the drain, I realized um, I had nothing. And so um, I started all over and, and tried to figure it out and made every single mistake you could possibly make. Um, <laughs> you know, but I ended up raising a lot of money. Um, I turned it into something that was worth a lot of cash. And, um, you know, I think my, my, greatest, my greatest asset is that, like, I'm never scared to take risk and I'm not scared to look like an idiot. So... I think, um, you know, and that's benefited me in a well, lot of ways, but it also, you know, there's also times where you, you got to, you know, swallow some crow, you know? So I, I, I remember just, you know, it's, it's miserable when you're trying to build things and you don't know how, and you're trying to innovate things, you know, anytime that you innovate things, you just fail a lot, you know, and it's just part of the recipe. You have to fail like a bazillion times. And I wasn't used to failing, you know, just making a sale and making money. And now I, like was spending tons of money and I still was not <laughs> winning, you know, and I was like, this sucks, man. Um, and, uh, but it, you know, no one tells you how to do this stuff. And, um, and it's, I mean, it's, I don't know. I mean, I, 
I'm just a hard head and I didn't stop until I made something of it. And now, titanium payments was first, I think, and then profit pay came later. Is that right? Wait, Tell me yeah, a little so bit about Yeah, so titanium payments is a payment processor. Yeah, so I, I was one of the uh, original partners um, that we started that back in 2004. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, I've been in payments forever, you know, but I started building technology. When I say I, that's when I started kind of building things is in 2014. Before that, I was just selling payment services, you know. Right. Um, but I, you know, so profit pay became the kind of the servicing company. Well, profit pay became like, you know, I wanted to, I wanted, so what I was doing was building value in the ecosystem, right? So when you have a commodity, all you can do is lower your price. And at the end of the day, you're just going to end up not making any money. Price yourself so, out. But right. then, you know, Stripe yeah. came onto the market and I was in a, they had, I was like, dude, their rates suck. Well, it's like, yeah, um, but they're, they're so easy, you know? They're cool. And so I was like, yeah, well, right. hot, like a light bulb went out. I was like, dude, well, if I build value, then I can charge these guys more money and they're not going to care, you know? And, um, but you have to, you have to have value. You can't just charge them more money. They'll not, they'll, there's no loyalty. Right. So, you know, you have to make it easy. You have to make it more convenient. Uh, and so I tried to, we, we built an all in one platform and we were doing virtual credit cards before anyone else. And we were utilizing it for advertisers and their media spend and things like this. So we had like a, we had a pathway to scale in the market. And um, we had a niche and that allowed us to kind of grab onto a lot of e-commerce merchants and, and scale the business. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was hard and, you know, uh, yeah, it was a crazy time in my life. You know, it's like nine <laughs> years of, uh, of pain, you know, right, um, right. it's pain, man. I mean, honestly, but there are lessons you can't, uh, you can't, those are things you can't actually learn. Well, just about the time that the pandemic hit, you got into wishes. Well, no, it wasn't right then. So like this is check this out. So before we actually went into the e-commerce space, so I came from the hotel space and we built our platform really uh, for travel first. Right. So if you think about what Expedia does is they're not the, they're not the hotel room and they're not the, uh, the hotel or the airline, but they essentially what they do is they take your payment and then they fund a virtual credit card and then they pay the hotel and airline. And so what what our platform was is we had a virtual credit card issuing machine, right? Which um, like third party booking engines could utilize to pay their suppliers. And, you know, we were also doing payments and all this. And um, so we literally, mind you, like we had been working on this for six years. I'm, you know, spending everything that I have into this business. And, uh, and I, 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 so we're like, dude, I'm, I made it, right. I, I, I got, um, I got three like really large contracts in the travel and the travel space. I got a, a very, very large, um, third party booking engine called Booksy. And like, uh, they, like they signed a hundred million dollar contract with us. And I had a few other billion dollar contracts that would end up like being processing billions of dollars with these guys. Right. And I was like, dude, I made it, bro. Oh my God, I made it, right? And, uh, and literally that was at the end of 2019, right? And then <laughs> what what happened January 1st? Travel business, ding, ding, oh ding, ding. Oh my God, travel went to zero. <laughs> that company, Booksy, that signed a $100 million agreement, they went out of business in two months. Right, you know what I mean? Right. Like the whole, I mean, my whole entire dream, I was just like, oh my God, all that work. We were so there. We had a pivot going to e-commerce. I mean, it was just, it, that was like my life for like, for, it was just like, we we're so, I, I call it, you ever seen that movie Apocalypto where, right. uh, where the guy, they, he, the guy kills his dad and he's like, oh, I'm going to call you almost. Like, I felt like 
that was almost like I was always so close, but I couldn't like ever pull it off. And until finally we did, but it just took forever. So tell us about wishes. How did that come about? Yeah. Well, you know, I had spent, so I'd spent in 2014, I was one of the pioneers in the virtual credit card issuing space. And I created a bunch of patents in that space. Um, and back then nobody was doing it. So it's kind of like, it was like rare, um, uh, you know, kind of knowledge that most people just don't have um, in this business because it's, you know, not many, many uh, platforms were trying to do virtual credit card issuing at the time. So when I came out and I saw, when I got, we got acquired, I, I was like, I uh, started, you know, um, donating to charities and causes more often. And then what I realized was I never understood what happened to the money, whatever happened to the people that I try to help, whatever happened to mm. anything. You never get any, you never understand what, where the money goes, where the dollar goes, how it's being spent. Um, you know, and even if it's being spent on what people requested. Right. And so, and then I was tired of going to every single grocery store and everyone asking me for a dollar, but like, you never know where the hell that dollar goes. The other thing is, is that you flip on the TV and that same grocery store is like, we donated like $40 million to blah, blah. It's like, dude, they didn't donate anything. Like there was a bazillion customers that just donated that whole 40 million and who gets the tax write off? I was like, this is, it's, I don't know. And it, but, but who's saying whose hands in the cookie jar and who's not right. When no one's looking and it's going through a for-profit business, who knows? Right. Um, it's going through the same exact register that all the other money's going through. So anyways, um, I wanted to, as a donor, I wanted to always understand where my money went. And and if yeah. someone was asking me for specific help, like, hey, I broke my arm or, you know, Johnny broke his leg and my grandma's in the hospital. Like, if you're trying to help them with like cancer or whatever, you want to make sure that, hey, like, well, more importantly, like, I don't want to watch where your money, money goes. But what I would like to know is like, hey, did that help? Did that, you know? Right. Did, yeah, a like, difference. Yeah. Did this make a difference? Right. You know, like, I mean, you never hear anything after you do it. And so for me, that's really where it kind of came into, um, you know, and so what I, I'd spent the last, you know, eight years building, um, you know, taking a payment and turning it to another purchase. Right. And so I was like, well, hey, I could take payments and then put them on because what do credit cards do? Credit cards create ledgers. Right. So people try to come out with transparency inside of it. The, and they're like, well, it's cryptocurrency. It's like, sorry, buddy. Nobody uses cryptocurrency in the real world, actually. So, you know, I don't know anyone that I, you know, it's like, yeah, I have a bunch of friends that are in that space, but you know, it's still, it's still far, far away from being anything mainstream. So, you know, but what is mainstream that creates ledgers that we all use today is cards, right? And, you know, where do you actually have your cards and where do you mainly spend your money is on your phone, right? So, right. We actually can we can turn turn it donate any donation um, into a charitable tax deductible event, um, and we you can also earn rewards on those donations as well, and uh, it's totally transparent. You can deliver those those funds get delivered instantly, about ten times faster than the uh, the big competitors in the market today. And uh, you always don't understand what happened to your money, so you always know um, where those dollars are being spent and how they're being spent, and they really can't be misused because if someone specifically uh, raises money for something or a charity is trying to support a mission for whatever that is. Um, you know, we, it's almost like using a gas card sometimes, right? So if it's, if, if it's for something specific like groceries or they can't go into Macy's and use that card, it won't work the same way. Right. So, yeah. So, I mean, it solves a lot of the problems that, you know, exist in charitable, in the charitable giving space today. And, um, 
you know, we're super excited to launch it. And uh, I think that it'll change charitable giving uh, forever because our thesis really is if people understand what happens, if, if you understand where your donations go, you will give more and more often, right? If you understand right. the impact that it makes, because what's missing in charitable giving in reality is connection. There's zero connection. You donate through and, transpar- and transparency. Well, yeah, it's all. Yeah, because well, the, you can't provide transparency. No, transparency doesn't exist without this inside of um, inside of the nonprofit world. It just doesn't. So, I mean, because even the platforms that are doing cryptocurrency, like you think a nonprofit that barely understands, like uses computers, like is is going to be able to take cryptocurrency? Like, come on, um, it's not working. You know, so. I think so. Are you are you doing wishes now in conjunction with titanium payments? Is that oh yeah? Well, so or? yeah. So I mean, we're so we actually are a full payment stack. So um, yeah, they're our partner um, in our. We use we uh, we use our our payments engine um, for our nonprofit side. So like when we're boarding the nonprofits into the system, either for fundraisers or they want to run, uh, they want to take credit cards as well. They can. We have an automated way to do all that, just similar to like a Stripe, you know, almost. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, and then wishes generates revenue based on a percentage of that transaction or that contribution. Yeah. So on the payment side, it's just, we work like any other uh, merchant provider, but we specifically know that, uh, you know, the charitable giving space. So I think we're a lot better suited to um, help those nonprofits than any other payment processor. Um, because we also bring donors to the table, which none of them do. Yeah. Um, so are you now going out, going out now and approaching charitable organizations. Yeah, we're we're right? actually bringing, so up. that's part of the sales pitch. I mean, that's part of the reason why I don't, uh, nonprofits want to work on our platform is because we're bringing donors to the platform too, because right. if you had a choice as a, as a donor, right, every, all things being created equal and you are to- donating to, let's just say the Red Cross, right? You donate to the Red Cross through the Red Cross. You have no idea what happens to the money. You donate it through a, another fundraising platform out there. You don't get a tax write off. Um, you certainly don't get any rewards for it, but you also don't understand ever like what happens to the money afterwards or even when it's sent there so with our platform it's it's all it's all trackable you can see everything in real time it's fully seamless and so um you earn rewards a tax deductible event and none of the none of the none of the fundraising platforms can offer a tax deductible event because they're not nonprofits themselves so if they are doing and the only time that they actually do it is when they're supporting a nonprofit. um that is actually providing their own tax deductibility or they're using PayPal to do it. So they don't actually do their own stack and, you know, um, they're not, they're not like a real, uh, fence. So how does it work? If I'm a consumer and I want to make some charitable donations, I can go to the wishes website and yeah, make a selection or how does that work? Yeah. So we're actually launching here. Um, we have a, a wait, wait list a mile long. Um, but we, um, are launching here the first, first, uh, week of February. So, cool. Yeah. So yeah, you, it's an app. So you can go into the i, I like uh, Apple Store and download right. Wishes Inc. And uh, yeah, use it uh, where I and I know, can go know. on. I could we can go on there, take a look at it. Yeah, a, a list of different charitable organizations come charitable up. Charitable organizations. People can put their story on there. But the cool thing is when we release these cards, they can actually use those cards instantaneously inside of our store. That's one part that I forgot to mention is that we have a like a shopping mall inside of our app. So it has all the largest retailers that everyone uses um, everywhere. So we're a super big publisher. So we have, you know, relationships with Walmart, CVS, Walgreens, like, you know, Safeway, Amazon, all of the places, Macy's, you know, everywhere you could possibly want to shop. Um, So anyone that's requesting money through the platform, they can get groceries through there. They can get anything through there. 
um, you know, as soon as they get the funds on the card, they can actually plug them right into stores and start spending money right there. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. How big is your team now? How many folks are on board? Um, well, we have, it's mainly engineers. So, yeah. um, you know, we have about 15 engineers and um, we have a, a small customer success team. And yeah, I mean, we have a, we're a team of ninjas, but you know, the technology is pretty automated and uh, we built it for scale. So um, don't need a lot of, uh, a lot of human uh, power right now, but um, mainly a lot of automation stuff. So we're going to be building out our customer success team uh, specifically for the, you know, kind of the human touch for our nonprofit side of the business. And, sure. and you know, but uh, boarding the consumer side and the amount of time that you spend with uh, customer success on those is it um, doesn't kind of equal out, you know, um, on that side. So as you're bringing people in, what, what are you looking for? And you're making bets on those people you invest in and hire. I, I try to stay away from the hiring. I let uh, Annie, or my CEO, do that. And so, <laughs> okay. you know, I'm just kind of the brain behind uh, the platform, and um, you know, she she's the she's the human touch element of this operation. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So cool. Yeah. So she's good at that. Well, Chase, we're just about out of time, but we always yeah. ask one last question of our guests, sure. and that's uh, you've had a pretty interesting career, certainly a very different one than than yeah. most of the folks we have on the show. What, what career and life advice would you give to someone that you know wants to be an entrepreneur like you someday? Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, you know, I mean, it, it really is just a disruptive lifestyle, right? So you know, it's never going to be easy, and you just got to be prepared to mentally prepared to take on the challenge. I think um, the reason why you know. Nine, nine, 10 million businesses start every year. Um, and like, you know, 95% of them fail yeah, is yeah. people aren't really mentally ready to take on the, the craziness of, you know, especially building a startup. That's a whole nother thing. But, um, you know, the amount of hours and dedication it takes to actually make something successful. Um, and it's, uh, and no one's going to do it except you. So it's in nine times out of 10, it's a million times harder than working for someone else. And it's a lot more risky. Um, but I think, you know, it's all about the journey. And I say the journey is terrible. It's the worst uh, because when you're in that journey, all you want to do is not be in that journey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but, uh, you know, it's like, you know, you really do gain a lot of wisdom and insight that uh, most people will never will never be able to achieve. And, uh, you know, it's a different it's a different life and it's not for everyone. But if you have uh, you have the guts, you can get the glory, you know, and a good idea. That's right. You have to have a good idea too. <laughs> Chris Harmer, founder at Wishes. Thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.